Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is like my fifth attempt recording this intro. Uh, you know, it's just one of those days. Sometimes, sometimes you just hate. Maybe it's just me, but there are just days when I hate the sound of my voice and I hate anything that comes out of my mouth. You know, when you're just bored with yourself, you're like, I've been with you all day long, and now I have to listen to you talk. No, it's, is that me? Maybe I just have some sort of uh, problem that I should look into. Maybe I should be seeing a psychologist. Um, great. You know what? Let's just stick with this one. This is the one I'm going to choose. This is the one that we're going to go with. Welcome to Mark and the Tiger Tales. Happy Monday. My name is Mark. <laughs> I'm having a rough one, I guess. <laughs> Oh my god. No, it's been fine. It's been a great weekend. Friends are in town. We went wine tasting yesterday up in Santa Barbara. And listen, okay, if you live in Los Angeles, or if you have visited Los Angeles, and you haven't taken the train from LA to Santa Barbara, listen, you are missing out. You are not living your life. You've got to get on that train at 7.30 a.m., we left from the Glendale station, and then it's two and a half hours on this beautiful train up past Simi Valley and the mountains and past the beach, and you get to Santa Barbara around 10, have brunch, and then the whole rest of the day is just wine, 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 because they have this urban wine crawl where if you have never been to Santa Barbara before, there's one big main street right up the middle. It's this super cute little bougie beach town, and the whole stretch is an urban wine crawl. There are so many tasting rooms. I, I don't even know how many there are. There must be a good 20. There's got to be. I can't see how there could be any less. And you can just go from one to the next to the next and then take the train home. The last train is 6.50. You get home early. It's reasonable. It's the perfect day. The perfect day. Because I love to day drink. I I much prefer day drinking to night drinking. Because I want to wake up, feel like I'm going to have an adventure right from the get-go. And then you're drunk and home by 10, 11. Is so nice. It's the way everything should be. Why are people going out at night when they could be drinking during the day? What is wrong with them? Oh, God. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up uh, because I am, am breaking things in my house. I'm spilling things, and um, that's not the point of today. Today is about Darcy Bonet, my dear friend, my incredible voice coach. So I'm just going to set the scene. I'm going to try and wrap this up super fast because today's episode is a little bit longer because I'm talking to a good friend of mine. And I cut out a lot, but I, I there was so much that I didn't want to cut out, so it's in there. Who is Darcy Monet? When I first moved to Los Angeles 13 years ago, I came out here, I actually came out here to be an actor, but I've always been a singer. And one of the first things I did was find a voice coach because before moving out to Los Angeles, I had never had formal voice training and I just knew I needed it. And I think I just Googled voice coaches in Los Angeles and I went to some random, it was some random site. It was so, it was so weird how I found Darcy because she hadn't, she hadn't like started her teaching business for very long when I found her. And somehow 
Google just directed me to her website. I found her. I liked her. She sounded great. That was within the first couple of weeks of me living in Los Angeles. And then flashback to now, I have been with her for 13 years. She taught me how to sing. She taught me how to use my mix. Like, she is absolutely incredible. And now we've just become really amazing friends. And... I, she's one of my favorite people to talk to in general. We can just go on and on and on for ages. And she's an amazing storyteller, which is part of why I wanted to have her on. But she's also in the middle of this incredible resurgence for her own career. And this is one of the rarest situations where I knew the story that I wanted Darcy to tell on this podcast before she actually came on. So I said, this is what you have to tell. And she's telling it. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but it's really amazing. And it's one of those stories about, you know what? I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Uh, I'm going to let you just listen. And um, and it's really great. I, I love this woman so much. I am so grateful to her. I have so much to thank her for. And hopefully you guys all feel the same way by the time you end this episode. So goodbye. Enjoy. I will see you on the other side after this incredible story by Darcy Monet. Goodbye. Okay, Darcy. A very reluctant Darcy. Tell me a story. <laughs> not reluctant just to, i'm just just so put on the spotty is how it feels um well okay once upon a time in hollywood a girl moved from nashville tennessee by way of upstate new york um to be a studio singer and that girl's me and <laughs> i got hired by a friend who I had done some uh, demo work for. He got hired to be the musical director and composer for a little indie film that was going to Sundance called Napoleon Dynamite. Hmm. Now, yeah, at the time, literally, he brushed it off like, oh, it's just this silly little comedy that's going to Sundance. You know, you know how those things go. He's like, just kind of hoping that this will end up giving me more work later and then eventually more work for you because then I can hire you more. And I'm like, sure, I'll come. And he's like, it only pays a hundred dollars for the day of recording. And I was like, okay, that, you know, when you're cutting your teeth in a new uh, city and trying to make a name for yourself, sometimes you do stuff that's, you just do stuff to try to get your name out there. And so that's what, what one of these things was. So I go in there and I sing, I'm hired to sing a cover of Bette Midler's The Rose, only about 30 seconds of it. Um, and if you've seen the film, then you, it's early in the movie and it's during the happy hands club scene where the kids are doing uh, sign language, which is probably entirely wrong. <laughs> And, and I'm singing the rose underneath it. There's no dialogue or anything. It's just me and my voice singing the song. Now, what happens in these situations 
Why didn't they just use Bette Midler's version? We don't know. But what often happens is when a producer director goes to license music, sometimes the label will simply say, no, you can't use that version because we own the recording of it. You may not use Bette Midler's or they'll uh, quote a licensing fee that's so exorbitant that the producer can't pay for it. The production can't afford it. In that case, if they're like, we still want this song really bad, then they'll hire somebody like me, a session singer, to come in and do a cover of it. Now, <laughs> I am not a SAG-AFTRA member, but this production was on a SAG-AFTRA festival uh, contract, which meant they could use SAG-AFTRA actors. And this was actually before SAG and AFTRA uh, joined together. So this was a SAG festival contract and they could use SAG actors and SAG musicians and not have to pay us the required normal amount, which is why I was only getting a hundred dollars for that. Now this job should have Taft Hartley'd me, which is a law or clause or whatever that allows a person to do a SAG job. And then without actually joining the union yet, and they are given a 30 day window to do as much union work as they possibly can or want to before they're required to cough up the exorbitant dues and join. Um, it's, it works out well if you're a person that was plucked out of obscurity and put in somebody's movie and then you're working for 30 days straight. So you can, you'll have the money you need to join SAG. Or if you're an extra, like I, I know I met several people <laughs> when I first got here who got their SAG cards from being extras on uh, Planet of the Apes <laughs> because they were extras. They were <clears throat> apes and they were just on set every freaking day being apes. And so they got their <laughs> SAG cards. So anyway, all that to say, it doesn't really work like that with singers because it's usually a one and done. You're in for one day, you're out. It might be a few days if it's a big choir with orchestra kind of thing. It might be a few days, but it's, it's never 30 days straight, you know, and, and it's never enough to be able to say, now I have the $3,300 it, it costs to join SAC. Anyway, I was going to cross that bridge when I got to it. I was supposed to get my Taft Hartley, which meant I could do as much SAG work for 30 days or just find the money, you know, um, to be able to join SAG. Well, long story short, it didn't happen. Also what happened. Okay. So I found out much later, sorry, I'm trying to, it's all so many things that came out later that, um, I didn't, again, I didn't find out till later that I know now. So anyway, I do this. We don't think about it again because it's just going to, Sundance and big deal, whatever. Well, you know, the Weinstein company picked it up. And mm -hmm. as everybody knows, the movie blew up. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, my God, my name is going to roll in the credits of a major motion picture for the first time ever. And I was so excited. And I'm thinking I've got my Taft Hartley. Meaning at any moment, if $3,300 drops out of the sky, I can join SAG, right? So I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I've leveled up and now with 
the, how huge this was. That's really going to help me get some attention. I could ride this wave, blah, blah, blah. I literally go to me and like five or six friends went to the theater to see it in the theater so that we could have the experience of watching my name roll on the credits, you know, on the big screen. And <laughs> you see, here come the credits. Here comes the music credits. Literally every song that they licensed in the film to use said such and such song written by so-and-so, so-and-so publishing information performed by so-and-so except the Rose written by Amanda McBroom, Warner Tamerlane publishing, no performance information. I'm just not there. Just not there. And when you see that there's a minimum of a dozen other songs that they licensed and big songs too. So they somehow found the money to license freaking Backstreet Boys. You know what I mean? But I don't know what the deal was with the Rose, but um, to see that every other piece of music had the performer's name listed and it was the original performers, except for mine. I was like, at first I was like, what a weird mistake. So we start digging into this, you know, um, I did not sign away my right. And that's another thing I was thinking too. This movie has blown up. I'm going to start getting residual checks. Oh my God. I was so excited, you know? So there long story short, the production company never turned in the paperwork for me to Taft Hartley. Um, I ended up having to hire a lawyer to see about why my information was, um, you know, omitted. Mm. And the thing is the the composer slash musical director called me no less than three times over the course of this process of the movie making process to make sure he had my crediting information correct. No less than three times, including after the, when the movie blew up and they were thinking about you know, should we release a soundtrack? So he called me again about that, which by the way, the rose is not on the soundtrack. Everything else is, but uh. the rose. which is crazy because this is there. It's such a, everybody knows this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you've seen the movie, you know this and what it is. And that's me singing underneath it. So for them to not, I don't understand. So again, this is a long story. I'm sorry. And it's very uh, 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 out of, I, well, we like the long story. If I'd been more prepared, I'd have had a nice little, uh, you know, outline prepared. To, I think to you're confusing that, but... me with a professional operation. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for chaos. <laughs> That's true. I do a podcast and it's a hot freaking mess anyway, too. So, <laughs> which you well know, cause you edit it, but um, anyway, it's, um, yeah, long story short, they never submitted my paperwork for the Taft-Hartley. I feel that they purposefully left my name out because in press after the fact, everything said the such the Happy Hands Club scene over which plays Bette Midler's The Rose. You know, like they the press makes it sound like it's Bette's version. And I think they did it on purpose to ride I 100% agree with you. I'm sure they did it on purpose. Yeah. Fucking and Weinstein so, Company. Well, it wasn't the Weinsteins. At that point, all anybody. of this, 
It, we're going to blame Jared Hess. Yeah. Jared Hess is the writer, producer, director. It was his production company that put this movie together. And by the time Weinstein picked it up, all of that shit was done. That was taken care of and handled. There's nothing that the Weinstein company or whatever production company picks it up for distribution has to do but slap their name on it, put the money on it to, to get it out there. So this is the land squarely in the lap of freaking Jared Hess. And whoo, so you get upset now. <laughs> the point is that should have been considering how everybody else's career involved in that film at the minimum leveled up yeah. or blew up. Um, it should have been a big stepping stone for me. And instead it just became this source of uh, bitterness and pain and anger because I didn't sign away my rights to be credited. I didn't sign away and I certainly didn't sign away my way, my right to be paid. So every time comedy central had a 72 hour Napoleon dynamite marathon over a weekend and they did it often, oh. I would just be screaming at the television and throwing shit at it because that was money. I wasn't making it's probably thousands of dollars at this point because this is 20 years ago. So there's the story of what happened. Why am I telling this terribly tragic, not necessarily uncommon story? Um, because I decided this year with the 20th release of the film that I'm going to take that narrative back and it's not going to be the missed it by that much story. I have at least a dozen of those almost made it stories in my career. That feels like the biggest one. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to take it back and I'm going to try to heal from this. So I decided to record the song in its entirety because every once in a while, somebody would come out of the internet ether and send me a random email saying, Hey, I found out you're the person that's actually singing that. Did you guys record a full version? Cause I'd love to have it. And every time I'd have to say, no, we just did that 30 seconds. Sorry. Please sign up for my email list. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find about my other stuff. They don't care about the other stuff. They just wanted the rose, you know? So I'm, I'm recording a full production of it. We finally uh, got the vocals down. Uh, should be coming out in March. That's, that's the hope. Well, so uh, hopefully theoretically with the time this podcast airs, mm. the podcast will be either yeah. out or about to be out. I will, I will have that at the end of this podcast. When at the yeah. end. <laughs> there we go. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's what I'm doing. And, um, and if, you know, if something comes of it, because I also, I hired a, pu a publicist, actually. I actually crowdsourced so that I could hire a good, real Hollywood publicist, not one of these little indie outfits that doesn't actually have contacts anywhere where Jared Hess might see it, wow. you know? <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to hire a real publicity company and, um, and, and get my story out there and try to get some attention and, um, if nothing else, hopefully it'll bring me some more followers and I can capitalize on that in other ways, you know, but mostly I just want that. I just want to not be sad about it 
anymore because I loved the movie. I want to be proud that I am a part. I should be, I should be proud that I'm a part of this giant pop culture phenomenon. You know, nobody can take that away from me, (laughs) you know? And so I just want to go forward being feeling good about it being proud about it and saying, Hey, that's me. For the people who don't know what a session singer is out there, Mm. can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So if you listen to a piece of music and if you happen to know where to find the credits anymore, because <laughs> we don't have CDs or albums where you can read all the liner notes anymore. Um, there are professional musicians and singers who play on those songs. Um, and whenever you hear say like um, a piece of music in a film where there's a choir on it. Those are professional session singers. The people playing in the orchestra are professional uh, violinists and whatever, you know, you can make a really good living just being a person who comes into the studio and plays what they put in front of you on that day. Um, that's actually always been my dream uh, to do as a job is to be a studio singer I love it. It's my happy place. And um, that's what I came here to expand on. I had started out with it in Nashville. And then because Nashville is all country and I am not a country singer, I thought maybe L.A. would have more opportunity for me. Whoopsie. (laughs) That turned out not to be true. And a few, like literally a couple of years after I left Nashville, a bunch of my friends who are also in the music business their career started leveling up at which point they probably would have started calling me going, Hey Darcy, come on in and sing this demo for me. You know? So I kind of, again, missed it by that much, that sort of thing. Cause also the country field in Nashville started expanding. Like soon as I left, Winona Judd put a solo record out, went on tour and she had three black backup singers. (laughs) So like soulful backup singers were the thing and that I'm a very soulful singer. So I just missed that boat, you know, and came out here thinking it would do me better. But oh, wow. I feel like L.A. is a very tricky mistress that way. She has like it this is. illusion of mm-hmm. I'll make dreams come true. And then she just mm-hmm. chews you up and spits you out. She sure can. And if you let her too, that's the thing that I try to impress upon my uh, voice students. I said students before and people listening might not know what that means. Um, I, and I now coach other singers and I very much enjoy it. Even though that wasn't the um, original plan, but I just, you know, try to tell my students who are here, like, don't, let this town dictate for you, you know, make your choices. And if you come across an obstacle, you find a way around it under through over, you don't let it stop you. I let things stop me. You know, I let this situation, I cocooned, I started teaching. Um, I gave up on really being a, a real performer, a real artist and just didn't really do it. 
when lockdown happened, I started performing live again on live streams, but I hadn't for years before that. And I was like, well, I have a captive audience now. (laughs) (laughs) People have to listen to me. And so I did. And and I enjoyed that. And I was like, well, this is not, and, and it's, you know, it's my own living room. So I don't have to go anywhere and, you know, rehearse with anybody. I'm just singing to tracks and it's easy. And it's a, a nice little fix. It's a good way for me to, uh, try to work my chops back up. And, and now at this point, I feel like the universe was deciding to release the rose. Um, at the same time, a friend of mine who lives in Nashville reached out to me and said, Hey, if there was a song you'd, uh, you'd want to cover, what would that be? And I've always had the, the two top in my top of my list. Um, I said Elton John's Empty Garden and Till Tuesday's Voices Carry. And she responded, and I said, why? She responded back. She goes, oh, that'd be perfect. And I'm like, yeah, why? And she's like, well, I want to start um, producing other artists. And I only have my own stuff that I've produced. And I want to put some, get some different contrasting styles. So I would love it if you'd let me produce this song for you. Oh my God. I'll play on it and everything and record it and everything. All you got to do is get the vocals on there. And so I was like, okay. And so I just felt like the universe was saying, hi, you're not done being an artist yet. Hell yes. You know, it's so, excuse me. I'm this frog has been in my throat all day and I hate it. I feel like, cause you talked about always missing things by just that much. And I, I can't help but always feel there's a reason for every single thing that happens, even if it's so stupid. And I don't know, maybe, maybe things are just meant to happen a little bit later than you expected Mm -hmm. them to. And that's, that's fine because for one thing I am, I'm so much more of, I'm a better human now than I (laughs) when I was, was when I was younger. So I feel like, if I should get any kind of notoriety now that I'd be able to handle it better than I would have when I was younger. But, um, also I feel like I have more to say. And interestingly enough, my sister is an astrologer and she says, she's like, well, your chart says you're going to have your success later in life. Much later. I'm uh, really well preserved, but I'm still 53 years old. Yeah, you're I'm barely old. cresting the hill, Darcy. <laughs> oh, so anyway, uh, yeah. but I know what you mean. I, hope, I, I always think if I had like done any sort of music or like really done anything earlier in my life in my early 20s or anything, I'd be dead by now. Mm. I would have <laughs> developed a drug problem. I would have died. I would have been River Phoenix outside the Viper Room. Do you know I have a friend who was there? He worked as paparazzi at the time, and he was there when he died. And he was the only paparazzi that refused to take his picture. Oh, my God. I kid you not. What? My friend Ron Davis. This is a real thing. And he actually, he got a name as the the paparazzi that wouldn't uh, take that picture. He, like, did the talk show circuit. He was on Oprah. He was on Phil Donahue. He was oh on Oh, my God. He refused to take a picture of this poor boy dying. When did he die? In the 90s? In the 90s? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He is my age. I can look up on my phone right now. 
<laughs> Middle River, River Phoenix, River, because I have to know I won't sleep tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Death. That was when Johnny Depp owned it, right? Death date. Does he not anymore? No, he sold it. He didn't own it for that long, actually. I think he sold it in like 2004 oh. or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Halloween 1993. I thought it was 93. Oh, man. Halloween. I didn't know it was Halloween That's... in West Hollywood. Oh, God. You know? So that, that certainly explains why there was so many photographers around, I'm sure, for yeah. one reason. Halloween and WeHo is a thing if oh you're new to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Mm. So anyway, si- that was a total sidetrack, but I was just like, whenever anybody brings that up, I'm like, my friend! <laughs> he, was like, he was like, I was just so disgusted. I was like, I can't take a picture of this boy dying. Nobody's calling an ambulance. I don't even know if they had cell phones yet. Cell phones maybe thing? not. No, they would have. They just would have been huge, like a giant. Yeah, or they would have had to run inside, or there would have been a payphone or something. You know, yeah. Like he's like nobody was trying to get help. These, you know, all these other photographers. He, goes, he was, says like that's the first indication that this was not the work for me, and I needed to. He ended up transitioning into actual celebrity photography, like big freaking stars. Wow. And then on other things now, but. Now he now he is a manager for some of the biggest drag queens you've ever heard of. Oh my god, really? And Shangela. Yep. Oh yeah. Shangela. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh man. That's wild. So, um, when yeah, did you move to LA? January twenty-seventh, two thousand one. So I'm about to have my twenty-third anniversary. Yeah. Yes. 23 years. I've lived here longer than I did in Nashville or um, upstate New York where I'm from, which wow. feels weird. It's a strange place because I feel like no matter how long you live in LA, if you're a transplant, you never really feel like you yeah. are from LA. <laughs> I don't ever. I feel like I haven't been here as long as I have for one thing. Mm-hmm. It feels like half the time. Um, and then, yeah, this has never felt like home you know it's always felt that the plan was always go to la make your fortune mm-hmm. doing your music and then i wanted a home in nashville i wanted to be back and forth you know and yeah. then even maybe be able to work in new york a little bit i wanted to be bi-coastal and have a place in nashville and 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 be more travely <laughs> you know <laughs> that was the original plan I love how you were so concerned about telling a story, but you're just one of the best storytellers I know in general. Once which I is, get going, then I can't shut me up. But. Literally, all you had to do was start. I was but like, that's why I wanted to have you on. You know, how do I get it, into this? In addition yeah. to like, you know, wanting to have you tell your story and for this podcast to get really viral and for you to make your fortune, I just wanted to add <laughs> on because you're such a good storyteller. And I think that's why you're such a great musician is because you you tell stories. Thank you. I, yeah, obviously, you know, you've heard me say a million times that tell me the story of this song, you know, sing like you mean it is my studio's motto. And like you mean, it doesn't necessarily mean louder is correcter, right. Or 
quieter is corrector. It means uh, make me believe you, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, if they don't believe the story you're telling, then it doesn't matter. Cause the whole point of the whole point of being an artist is to reflect what's happening in life back to the community so that they know that they're not alone, you know, and that they know that they're part of, they're not just an individual, they're part of a conglomerate and we're all connected. You know, that's how I feel about it. So if you're just up there, you know, yanking your wanker and all the riffs and all the whatever, like that's impressive. Like, you know, nobody can riff like Christina Aguilera, right? It's amazing. She's such a gift, but at the same time, I can't think of a, no, one time I heard her sing where I actually believed it and it moved me. And that's when she sings on the, um, great big world. Yes. Great big world. Say Mm -hmm. something. I'm giving up on you. And she's just quiet and breathy and she's providing a harmony. She is serving the story of the song. She is getting out of her own damn way. And it's like, Oh, I love this Christina, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, that's the thing. That's the one and only time I've ever heard her sing where I was truly moved. You know, um, you remember Michael, the, who you came and did, um, vocals at, he recorded my first EP. Sure. Yeah. So he mixed. Yeah. Michael Parnham. He mixed, I can't remember what it was for, but it was some, um, uh, like some classical song that um, it was a guy singing, but then they needed background vocals. And I can't remember why, what, how the story goes exactly, but for whatever reason, Christina Aguilera was attached to it. And she was like, oh, well, if you need background vocals, I'll just put them on. So we have them. And <clears throat> he played me the track cause he was mixing it and she sings on it. And she sounds just like that where it's, totally dialed back because she's trying to blend and just be a background uh-huh. singer and she's you know with the music and it, it was to the point where uh-huh. if you hadn't told me it was christina aguilera or i would uh-huh. not have realized it and I, uh-huh. so I i know exactly what you mean about the crazy big voice yeah. like where it doesn't always you know it's just like whatever but i do feel mm-hmm. like she's an unsung hero a little bit because she doesn't always get to show her quiet side hmm well, you know, that's a choice too. She makes records. She can put that shit on there if she wants to. Yeah. At this point, nobody's telling her no at this stage in her career. Yeah. You know what I mean? She can do what she wants. Like early on, sure, you have to rub the genie, baby. You got to do that. But, you know, <laughs> it's so funny to look at that stuff back then. And I'm just like, I can, I can see that she's a widget in their box of widgets that they're selling. And it's, uh. it's, Ugh. Well, it's so crazy. I mean, cause like in a different world, it's just another version of what happened to you. You know, you were a piece that mm-hmm. they could discard. She was a piece that they could use. It's a weird mm-hmm. sort of industry. And I wonder, I don't know if it's, I mean, I f- I'm sure it is the same a little bit, but I wonder if sinner- singers are getting a little bit more autonomy now because of streaming and the fact that people can mm-hmm. just independently put stuff out there. You know, so many. I hope so. Well, I, I mean, when like, I started out, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like TikTok and things, you know, makes it possible for these people to just get so big and huge without anyone's help. 
That, yeah, that part of it. Yeah. I mean, when I started out with my band and started recording my own music, it was like around 96, 97 and MP3s were a new thing. So it used to be you recorded a demo that you sent to labels and that was it. You didn't sell your, you didn't sell anything. Maybe people made cassette tapes to sell at their shows, but really <clears throat> doing shows was just a way to sharpen your chops. So you'd be ready for a record deal. Yeah. You know, nowadays they don't give a crap if the kid's ever been on stage. First of all, it's a kid. They don't give any craps. If they have any stage experience, they're like, Oh, we'll figure that out. You know, she's hot. We'll make it work. And then with MP3s, we thought at the time that we didn't need anybody. We're like, Oh my gosh, we can be independent. Anybody in the world can hear our music. I remember the first time somebody from some other part of the world listened to my music, I was on a website where people could listen to your music and critique it. And, you know, some people were hateful. Some people were really gave you good feedback. I can't remember what that site was, but somebody from Vietnam listened to my wow. song and that my mind was blown because I was like, Oh my God, the other side of the world. Like that was never, something as a child you'd consider unless you had a record deal. Yeah. So that was really cool. And we were licensing our music in film and television and making good money doing that at the time. But then see the labels always catch up. They always figure out that we're the little guys taking money from them. And so then they find a way to squash them. Mm. And so they did. And now the music industry, nobody buys CDs or cassettes or anything anymore. And the, the only way to you can get famous on TikTok and social media. But the thing that concerns me is that most of these people who are famous are famous for being goofy. Yeah. And even if they're good singers, they sing a verse and a chorus of a song and that's it. You know, like how am I supposed to expect that they can, how can a label expect them to get through an entire show? There's no indication that they can. You know, and they're singing in their pajamas, you know, and then a, a, what's the label going to do with them? Yeah. Like it's, it's a really weird. I like that people can monetize something they're good at and make money from it on social media, whatever it is. You know, if you're a great cook and that's what you love to do, you can, if you're consistent and hardworking, make your cooking videos and grow following and make money doing something you love to do. Yeah. That's amazing. That was not at our fingertips when I was a kid, you know? So I, I love that part about it. But at the same time, it's like a lot of great singers, but not necessarily stars not necessarily people that can where that can translate from a TikTok video, a verse and a chorus into an entire album and a tour that people are going to actually buy tickets for, you know? Yeah, that's true. Actually. I didn't think of that. And you know, along those same lines, because the world is so, uh, I mean, like all over the place, ADHD. We have the shortest <laughs> fans. Yeah, someone yeah. can be viral for a month and then totally forgotten. And then about nothing. Them. Like yeah. remember that girl? That's uh, I think her name's Devin something rather. But she had that song, 
uh that witch song that was like you don't oh, yeah. else. i mean she was everywhere for a mm-hmm. minute mm-hmm. and i oh, forgot about her until just this moment when we were talking about this story but, yeah, i was wondering about that too and i actually one of my students uh wrote a song called disney bitch and oh yeah um, her name is killer kennedy if you want to follow her and she was just doing the tiktok thing playing it once I wish I could sing like Olivia Rodrigo, you know, like the, the, she drops a lot of very current references and uh, it blew up and it blew up, got her a lot of followers. Um, and then I thought to myself just this last week, I was like, I haven't talked to my girl in a minute. I need to go check out. I don't know what's going on, but um, I know she had signed with a management company officially the last I talked to her. That was probably a year ago though. So I don't really know what's going on. And then she was like, and I remember talking to her about it. She's like, she's like, now I'm just trying to find a way to keep that weight, ride that wave and keep the wave going. She's like, that's, she's like, it's very stressful. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny too, because I mean, as you were saying, like, when you used to do out shows before you were doing it for the labels to like, just keep playing until you were, you were seen by someone. Mm-hmm. When I was making my album a couple of years ago, I was doing it with a really amazing producer, you know, you know, worked with mm-hmm. all sorts of people, one direction, nope, one Republic and uh, Colby Calais and all sorts of others. Yeah. Um, and so, we were saying like, you know, how can we like, can you get me in the room with some like a and e people, a and a and r is a, A-N-R. what is it? A and r, a and r, a and r, a and r, I think, a and r people, you know, and, um, and he was like, I can, but to be honest, everyone else that I've ever brought, uh, like any artist ever brought around, they don't even want to take a meeting if you have less than 20,000 followers, which is nuts to me. Because how many incredible a, artists are being missed out on? Exactly. And likewise, uh, because so many people who are artists are not business people. They're not branders. They're not promoters. They're not, they just want to do their art, man. And Seriously. those people, right? Those people right. deserve to be heard. You know, you're one of those people. Seriously. Like you just need to be doing your music and fuck everything else. Excuse my French. But when we, when I was coming up too, we had the same situation where, well, now we don't need, we're going to sell cassettes and see that eventually CDs on the back of our car. And I knew it was a time where being indie was a thing. And if you were selling 50,000 units out of the trunk of your car at 10 bucks a piece, you don't need a label. Yeah. You're making your own money and you're making $9 off of every $10 you sell. Whereas you go with the, at that point, what would the label do for you? You're trading $9 per $10 sale for, you know, 50 cents on a $20 sale. Why would you do that? So it was like people started to understand, okay, I don't have to sell platinum because if I can sell 50,000 units and those 50,000 people are rabid fans of me, they're going to keep buying my stuff, you know? I'm and Tuesday, it's like, you can make you a know, good living. I just went to go see Dar Williams at the Troubadour. 
And oh, I yeah. feel like she is such a prime example of that. For if for those of you who don't know, Dar Williams is like folk goddess, like made it big in the nineties. Mm-hmm. She never blew up. And I remember yeah. I was listening to an interview with her when she signed with her record label um, or her management company. I think they said to her, you'll never be huge, but we will make sure you work for the rest of your life. And that's totally true. And she has deal. Such, yeah. Right. <laughs> And she has such a cult following of fans. When I went mm-hmm. to the Troubadour, she came on and every person in that room knew every word to every song she sang in her set. That's amazing. But the last song she sang was one of her biggest ones, Iowa. And the whole crowd, myself included, was singing along at the top of our lungs, mm. the entire song. She gets to the last chorus and she's like, this is usually where I tell people to sing along, but we already have been so <laughs> i'm like that to me is so amazing and like what an amazing experience that's the dream yeah for me that's living the dream having a a smaller venue full room people know my songs but i can still go buy my own toilet paper yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. i don't want it i don't want or need to be grossly famous like god bless taylor swift i don't know how she does it I don't know how she hasn't lost her friggin' mind. I know. She is such a huge star that I just, I don't, I don't know that I could do anything like that. You know, I've always just wanted to be like, make a comfortable living, enjoying what I'm doing, you know. She's one of those people, though. I think it's her. I mean, it could be her. She just has an amazing team. But I, I, I think I can give her this credit. I think she is an amazing businesswoman. And when you mm-hmm. look at it as a business and you're not just like us and you're like, we're the artists, we need help. <laughs> I feel like that must power you through a little bit. Because I mean. Well, too, she started so young. Yeah. So she learned really quickly, you know, and her parents have been part of her team her whole life. Yeah. So that probably helps if you have parents that are grounding, not like stage parents, but you know, yeah, she probably wouldn't know how to not be a business person at this point. Yeah. It's crazy. Did you ever hear, this is a fun fact. I'm not a huge Swifty, but Philip really is. So I know a lot of Taylor Swift facts because of him. (laughs) Um, Apparently she bought out all of the Taylor Swift dot ADU or whatever the adult thing is she bought every single domain name that could be a Taylor Swift porn site so that that could never happen. Good for her. And that's just like one of those crazy things that like, who is thinking about that? Taylor fucking Swift. Taylor Swift is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I want to get back to you a little bit because again, this is about storytelling and you were the storyteller. It's all about you. (laughs) You're also a songwriter and we haven't really talked about that. We've talked about you, the performer, but talk about, you as the songwriter a little bit how do you tell stories i just i've always had melodies in my head and stuff like that nowadays because i'm a terrible piano player i prefer to collaborate with people honestly Mm. um my friend levi christ and i uh, used to write a lot of songs together and we were a great team in that because he he was a great idea person and hook guy and I was really great at cleaning up lyrics and making um, really strong lyrics. And then I am the queen of the bridge. I can write a bridge for anything and bring the whole song together in four lines. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm a good song finisher. Yeah. And, um, 
but I have been trying to branch out. The last song I wrote was a Christmas song that I wrote entirely by myself, but I needed to because it was a, a very heartbreaking time in my life. And um, I, I didn't want to bring anybody else into that with me. I wanted that to be some, I need what I needed to get out of me. And, um, and then I was like, you know what? I can do this by myself. I really can. And I can like plunk out the enough chords to put piece the song together. And then if I'm going to demo it, I'll hire a real piano player who can voice <laughs> it really beautifully, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think primarily I'm, I'm much stronger a lyricist, I think than a, uh, hooks have never been my strength. Well, um, I think that, you know, as songwriting goes, you have people who are either amazing collaborators or mm. amazing, just, you know, solo writers and some people mm. go back and forth, <clears throat> but I've talked to people who, you know, especially as I've met more and more songwriters, some of them have, you know, just as you say, like they've only ever collaborated Elton John, yeah. right? Collaborator. Mm like crazy yeah and it's amazing i don't think he's ever wrote i don't think he's ever written a word of his own i think Which he's all nuts, music and right? everybody else writes the words it is it's still really kind of nuts yeah, yeah. Or, and i used to call each other bernie and elton yeah well it's funny to me because when i write usually i have the words and the melodies kind of come hand in hand and mm -hmm. i'm always blown away by someone like elton john or like the way that you and Levi maybe work where like one person has these words in mind and then the mm. other person takes those words and turns them into a melody. I can't, mm. it's, it's weird for me to think of the words coming and then the melody. It almost feels like. Well, for me with, with Levi and I, he always, almost always had a melody ready. Right. And maybe a word or a, here's the idea. And then I would put the words to it, you know? With me, when I write stuff on my own, like I just, the day after Christmas, I got a bug in my ear um, to write a Christmas song. And that chorus melodically, it I just came to me. It's called Ugly Sweater Weather. I knew that was going to be the name of it and that it was going to be about being cold and snuggling up by the fire and all the Christmassy things. And and that it needed to be super poppy and super catchy and blah, blah. And then, it just, but it just kind of came out to me I, that I'm that kind of a songwriter where I'm like, I don't spend a long time on a song. It's, it, it's comes out, the muse hits, you know, and it's usually days yeah. max. And I don't, there's been songs I have had ideas for that I've put away. There's one song that I have an idea for that, I've had for years and years and years that I've never finished. And every once in a while, I'm like, that song's still out there. But mostly I'm, I'm pretty quick about it. I at least get a first draft done very quickly. And then I'm kaput for years. I more. currently have about <laughs> five half finished or, you know, started songs that I haven't. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know what you mean. I have a couple of songs that I've written where it's just like a plunker, like plunk it out but so often i have you know pages and pages or so many voice notes of yeah of partial things that i eventually yeah. i have to sit down and finish but mm -hmm. it, it's funny that was kind of one of my things for myself this year where i'm like i have to stop waiting for inspiration to strike and actually make it a you know yeah. treat it like a job treat it like a craft that's the difference between that's people much. like well songwriting <laughs> is an art form sure it is yeah. But songwriting is also a craft, which is what mm -hmm. I learned living in Nashville. 
those people are artisans. You know what I mean? They're crafting songs. They go into the studio, like literally they have, it's, there's a 10 to two and there's a three to seven. And like that, those are the blocks that writers write in. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, I've got a 10 to two, but I've got a three to seven open, you know, meet me at this studio. And like, that's what they do. They sit down and they just put their minds to it and they do it. And when you exercise that muscle often, like some people are like, I don't understand that. It sounds so cold and so, blah, blah. but if you're doing it all the time, then you're constantly creating and then you get more creative and then it stays an art form, you know? Yeah. So it's just interesting. I was listening to an interview with Lizzo where I think, I think it was just a year or two ago, but she talked about how in that year she had written about 200 songs and, you know, some were great and some were awful and some were, you know, would never see the light of day, but you know, it was exactly as you say, it's Mm -hmm. a craft and you just have to keep doing it all the time. And sometimes you write the craft. Also, uh, this is a little story that I love from my days in Nashville with uh, friends trying to get publishing deals where you, you know, are signed on, you're hired by a publishing company to be a songwriter and they'll connect you with other songwriters on their roster and you'll write songs together and then you'll pitch them to, to artists. And there are people who they have a quota of songs they're supposed to write every month. Mm-hmm. And if it gets down to the end of the month and they don't have their quota, they'll write just the, the sloppiest piece of shit <laughs> just to say, <laughs> I got my quota. And those songs have, sometimes they're, they're smart asses about it. They have goofy names. So like when I was working at BMI and I could get into the system and I could see lists of songwriter songs, I'd say stupid fucking song. That's like, that's the title or quota song number 21 or, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. It was like kind of fun to see, you know, look at umbrella by Rihanna. That song is huge. And I heard that the guy who wrote it, um, did it in like 12 minutes or something like that. Like you just I banged totally it out. I totally believe that. Cause it's, it's not good. No, but it's, <laughs> it's heavy not. as all get out. It's so you can't. That's the thing. That. It's harder. Yeah. Pop songwriting is harder than people think, but yeah, it's not like that's going to, um, expand any minds. <laughs> you think of this song. new trend right now because, and I feel like this is the Billie Eilish trend or maybe it's a Taylor Swift trend, but, of there's very much a resurgence of kind of, well, that's weird, right? Cause it's still sort of electronic, but it's also very singer songwriting, very mm. vocals, but very yes. specific lyric driven songs, you know? Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Do you think it's- Oh, you know, I have words. I think. I have opinions. Well, I want to hear them all. Um, <laughs> it kind of drives me crazy. Because mm-hmm. one of my students who happens to also be my niece, she's 17 years old. So she's a huge Swifty. So I got my education in Taylor Swift over this last couple of years. Right. And then everybody who follows in her footsteps, the Phoebe Bridgers, the uh, Olivia Rodrigo, the, all the, yeah. these singer songwriter girls. Um, and two things I don't understand is that I find their songs melodically boring most of the time. And the other thing is they're so specific that it takes me out of the story. I can't relate to you. You're talking about this birthday party you went to and you're describing the cup your drink was in that I'm out. I don't care about the cup you're drinking from, but these girls are writing that 
like a, a Olivia Rodrigo's Drive song, huge hit for her. Um, I loved the concept of you're a teenager who just got her driver's license. And the first thing you do when you drive the car by yourself is drive by your ex's house. Yeah. And that feeling that and I'm like, what a, yes, let's write about this feeling. She's writing about, I put the key in the door. I open the door. I sit in the car. I turn the, <laughs> like she's all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you're taking me out of your pain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't get it. I don't get this at all. Um, it's an interesting thing. What about like, cause that, that makes me think of one of my favorite songs is, um, Diamonds and Rust by Joan Baez. And okay. I'm sure I well, I'll be damned. Too. Here comes your ghost again. But that's okay. not unusual. You'll know it if you're okay. here. You should go listen to it. It's amazing. I'm sure I'll it's remember interesting it from my because childhood. I think that is a very similarly, like very specific details because it's about her relationship mm -hmm. with Bob Dylan. And um Okay. Yeah, and um, so there are kind of specific things, but they're also, they're specific, but also vague at the same time. And mm -hmm. I, because I listened to that song, and even though I can tell it's about like, you know, she talks about him calling from, or she's, uh, he's calling her from a payphone in the Midwest. And, mm -hmm. um, but then she's talking about specific qualities, like, I remember your eyes were bluer than Robin's eggs. So it's like vague mm -hmm. enough, but also so specific where you're like in it, and out of it at the same time. It's an interesting yeah. thing. And but I wonder. A, a fine line yeah. between <laughs> being specific so that you can honor the person in your life that you're writing about, mm -hmm. but also not take anybody away from it. Like I have a song called September that uh, is about my uh, high school sweetheart. And it's like, September has nothing to do with our relationship. I just chose, I chose that for, that's the uh, artistic license. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but there's other things in there about him and, and certain aspects of our togetherness that would totally relate to anybody else's togetherness. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I didn't, I didn't specifically try to be like, this is just for us, you know? To me, that's, I almost find this level of songwriting to be kind of selfish, honestly. Interesting. Because I so feel like the job of the singer is to be the vessel for the story, the vessel for healing, mm. you know, if necessary, the vessel for smiling, for fun, for, you know, you're the vessel. And when you make it so insular that, that it's just you, you get all the stuff and nobody else can be let in. I just find that selfish. That's not what music is for to me, but I know the Swifties are going to come for me now. Pitchforks <laughs> <laughs> outside of your house. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I actually, I do blame Taylor because she's, she's the queen of that. You know, my red scarf that I left at your house. I remember flipping through the baby books. I remember, you know, she is the like queen of that. Driving up the windy roads of upstate New York, like a oh, girl stop, you know? It's funny too, because I, I never really thought about the fact that the more specific you are, it limits a listener's ability to 
make it something that they can relate to themselves. But obviously so many people relate to it. And I feel like it must then have something to do with her or like the way. I'll tell you what I think that is. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just had a ding. Ding away. Because she has dated so many famous people (laughs) that they're dying to figure out who this song is about. Well, that is, there's so many theories and conspiracy theories and all sorts of things. Is this Jake Gyllenhaal or is this Harry Styles? Is this what, you know, like they're all the trying to figure out. The level of conspiracy theories that revolve around Taylor Swift blows my mind. And again, so I think she purposely I, does it now. To oh, be she like, definitely does. See if they can figure out. If no, she puts in Easter eggs in things. She does all those things. When yeah. we went to, sorry, Tonka, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> when we went to uh, her show, uh, we were there uh, at the night when, I don't know if you've heard, but so at one point in the show, she just lets the audience cheer and cheer and cheer and cheer. And the night okay. we were there, she let us go on for, she let us go on for exactly eight minutes and nine seconds or something like that. And it was right before she released, she announced that they were, she was going to do the eight, uh, eight, uh, 1981 Oh, it was like nine minutes and eight seconds or something like that. And it was right before she was going to release the 1989 vinyl. And so it's like little things like that. Yeah. But fans take the time to go in and be like, I timed it. It was exactly nine minutes and blah, blah, blah. It must be an Easter egg for this. And it's crazy. They're obsessed. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. My, my twin girls, my, I mentioned my, my one niece who was my student. She's actually a twin. And what they went through to prepare their outfits for months before (laughs) Taylor, like my, my little bug, I'll call him bug and bird. I won't uh, throw their names out of the, you know, throw them under the bus, but my bug had a freaking meltdown in the pool one day because she couldn't find the exact right furry coat. I can dye it, but it has to be the right coat. And she's like crying. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening right now? And her mother's like, well, honey, like her mom's being so patient. And I'm just like sitting there going, seriously? Before I let you go, mm. any other exciting music stories or tidbits or anything else that you'd like to share or anything else that you would like to put out into 2024 coming forward? Well, um, I chose a word for the year. Um, I'm doing this for the first time. I've chosen the word healing. Mm. Um, I'm going to, uh, be doing that for myself this year. I'm just going to try to make an effort to heal, you know, childhood trauma, music trauma. I went to a psychic once who told me, she said, the way you feel about music, she's like, it's, it's like, it was your husband and he cheated on you. Mm. And I was like, that, that's how I felt for a long time. So I'm taking this year to heal and uh, fall back in love with music. And do that. And, um, I'm still trying to find a song last year. I chose a song for the year and um, this year it's coming a little slower. So I'll, you know, anything in relation to healing, if anybody has suggestions, I'll take it. The only thing that came <laughs> to my mind immediately was I'm coming up. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> no, uh, no, we'll I'll leave that. Oh, it worked out, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, well, I love you so much. Thank you for being here and doing this. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Did I not tell you about the wonderful gloriousness that is Darcy Monet? She is just one of the best people I know in the whole goddamn world. Uh, And that story, the way that she was just pushed out of these royalties and this notoriety that should have been hers, that could have potentially been a career-making or at least, you know, jump-starting moment, is is ridiculous to me. The, the music industry, I imagine much like the film and TV industry, and maybe some other industries too, it, it blows my mind that there are such thoughtless people, you know? And I... I Maybe not even selfish. Like, you know, maybe nobody... I mean, because no one knew, right? No one knew when they were making it that Napoleon Dynamite was going to be such a big thing. But that's all the more reason why when you have a project and people are helping you out or you have these people, treat them well. Treat them well. Give them the credit that they deserve because you never know when something's going to be such a big deal and it could make or break someone's life or career. You never know. But I'm really excited for Darcy to take back the narrative with her version of releasing the rose or her version of the rose. Her project is releasing the rose. And I've heard it. I've heard it, and it sounds so good, and I have some dates for you guys. So, if you want to go and hear Darcy's version of The Rose from Napoleon Dynamite, the one that never got to be made, but it's made now, so, on March 3rd, which is going to be coming up in just a week from when you guys have heard this, uh, there's going to be a live stream concert. It's going to be the world premiere performance of The Rose from Darcy Bonet. And you can hear it on Facebook. Darcy does all of her lives usually on Facebook. Um, go follow Darcy Bonet on, on Instagram. She's at ProVocalist and TikTok at Darcy Bonet. Um, she might also be she's the grumpy vocalist on tiktok too but because she might also do her things there but you can find her on facebook and and all of her live stream shows are there and all the information about this concert is on there but march 3rd is the concert um check out the facebook for the time and the official release date of the rose darcy's version is march 15th that's when you can hear it it sounds so good it's it's beautiful Darcy is, I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason she taught me how to sing, because she's an amazing singer, and um, it's, it's really beautiful. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I'm really excited. I'm so proud of her, and, uh, and I'm going to just leave it at that. Um, so I do have some stories from the old email. I'm going to save them. Because, again, I know this episode is a little bit longer, but thank you for writing in. If you would like to tell me a story and you want it to be heard on the podcast, remember to email me at tigertailspod at gmail.com. You can follow us 
uh, on all the streaming platforms at Mark and the Tiger. And until next time, Tigers, I love you so much. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. If you enjoy Mark of the Tiger Tales and you want to hear more stories, well, then don't forget to rate and subscribe and leave a review. All five stars, please and thank you. And I promise you that we will keep coming back to you every single week with more stories, more amazing guests. What more could you possibly ask for? I love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.